Well, we're in Genesis chapter 8. We uh, started two weeks ago, the flood of Noah, looking at uh, chapter 6 and 7 last time. We looked at some of the things that were involved in the cause, possible causes of the flood, some of the repercussions of the flood. But here we're going to pick up after the flood. And in chapter 8, verse 1, remember our guys here are still floating around on the water in the ark. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Now, of course, this isn't trying to say that God had forgotten them at any point. And then suddenly thought, oh, wait a minute. Noah's still out there, isn't he? <laughs> That's not exactly what this is talking about. But he said he would remember them and he did. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters receded. So 150 days, the flood waters increased and then they began to recede. This is uh, partially stopped because of the wind that God sent. We see that the fountains of the deep, that's the water that is on the inside of the earth, stopped so there was no more fountain coming out from the inside of the earth to the, to the surface. And the windows of heaven stopped. That would mean the firmament that was raining down upon the earth, that stopped. And the waters receded continually. Now here is something real important to note about this flood compared to the last flood. The last flood, to get rid of the waters, the waters went into the earth and they also went above the earth. And they formed the firmament. This time they do not. They only recede into the earth. And that is how the flood goes away. So all this water is collected and put back into the, into the earth. There's a whole lot of water apparently in the inside of the earth, some of which we know about, some of which we don't. You've seen some of those uh, guys that go into the earth and they find the caverns and the underwater parts and the underwater rivers that are there. and uh, It's all kind of fun. To, to say. Anybody ever investigating the, the caverns and caves and things like that? The, yeah. the one that's up over here, um, up uh, towards, not towards the Poconos, towards Allentown. I think it's uh, that one. I think we went through there one time. And, and uh, we went through during a uh, drought, a year of a drought. And we could actually get into the, I think it's called the Queen's Chamber. And uh, normally that one is underwater. But we were able to get into, the, into that one. And then you could see the rushing water of the uh, underwater river that was there. That's pretty cool. But uh, not everybody likes that sort of stuff. But, but there's a lot of water that's underneath the earth. And apparently... Um, probably more than what we can see and what we can get to. So this is how this flood was, was taken care of. So 150 days, the flood waters stopped. Now it is uh, all totaled, it's over a year that they're floating around on the, uh, in the ark. So 150 days is only a part of that. So that, again, after 150 days, the waters don't recede in a day or two. It does take a while for them to, to uh, be called back into wherever it is that they're going to. So 150 days of flood waters and the ark rested on the on what is said to be Mount Ararat. In verse 4, the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. So this is when it uh, had rested. This is uh, some time after the flood waters had, had stopped. But it said that they rested on Ararat in the seventh month and the 17th day of the month. They will not get out of this ark until the second month of the following year. 
So this is quite a few months that they will stay rested on Ararat. It's actually in the second month on the 17th, 27th day of the month that they get out of the ark. So we go from floating around for all, the, all that time and then in the seventh month, that's when this, this goes on. So it rests on Mount Ararat. Now here's something interesting about this. The ark rested in the 17th month or the seventh month, the 17th day of the month and on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now, what are they resting on? But it's not, this is in the seventh month. But it's not until the 10th month that you can see the mountains. But they're still resting on the mountain, aren't they? So there's something interesting about this. So I did some looking up about Mount Ararat. And here's what I have that I, I don't think I left this in. No, I don't think I had enough room to to fit it in there. I was trying to fit this, to leave this in. But Mount Ararat may be the largest single mass or volume mountain in the world. As it is huge, one really has to see it in person to appreciate its immensity. It rises to 17,000 feet from the plain surrounding it at two to 3,000 feet, while most of the large mountains are in a mountain range with less differential and base circumference. So Mount Ararat is not in a mountain range. There's a, if, uh, the picture I saw had this mountain and one other mountain behind it, but it's in the area of the plains, and so you probably can see for a while, and it may have taken a while for those flood waters to recede before you could see maybe the next mountain range or whatever it was, or it's just talking from an earth perspective. But whatever it was, obviously if they're resting on Mount Ararat, they can see it. <laughs> but it's, it's talking about some of the other mountains. This, this mountain in particular is huge. And for this area, it is very large. But uh, some of the other mountains and some of the other areas, uh, they may not have been able to see in the other places. So whatever it was, we'll figure it all out when we get up to heaven. But they were resting on the mountain. They were not at the top of the mountain. Most of the places that we see do not have the ark. Uh, if the structures, the one particular structure that we have seen, if that is the Noah's ark, then it is not at the top at all. I believe it's around one-third of the way down. I um, am remembering that right. Now, if you have not gone to this, this spot before, I know when we, um, a long time ago, we talked about the gold that the Israelites had uh, and the Mount Sinai and all that sort of stuff. We went through some of the pictures. We put them up on the screen of the true Mount Sinai, not the traditional Mount Sinai, but the actual Mount Sinai, the actual one that the Israelites went to. There is a traditional one. How many people were not here when we did that? I'll have a couple of them. All right. Um, there is a phenomenal book, if you all like to read some book. It's called The Gold, the Gold of Exodus. It is a big book, but it is really quick reading. Boy, is it, it's hard to put that book down, I'll tell you. It is just very, very interesting book. And uh, it, it documents the true uh, Mount Sinai and all the things that uh, led up to it, all the stories in the Bible about... Uh, where they where they act where they came about because the traditional Mount Sinai you can't place any of the stories in any of the regions around that area but the the one that this one points to uh, you can and so if you want some good reading you can go there but there is a website that's out there that has the pictures from this book as well as some pictures of Noah's Ark and I believe it is it, the, the website is anchorstone.org or um, I don't think it's a .com. But if you did a search on the anchor stones, it would certainly come up. 
But it's a, it's a great thing to see. You can actually see some pictures of some anchor stones. What an anchor stone is, is a very, very large stone that you would uh, drop from a boat and uh, that would anchor you down. And so they have some of these in this particular area of Mount Ararat. Now, they are not permitted to get to this, this area now, but they have some pictures, some long-range shots of what it might might be. And <clears throat> Again, it could be it. It may not be it. You can probably find as many people arguing for it being Noah's Ark as arguing against it being Noah's Ark. But if you want to see some neat pictures of it, you can go over there. Anchorstones.org, I believe, is the site. Or if you do a search for the Anchor Stones, you will certainly be directed to the to the place. But you're going to look for a web uh, URL with Anchor Stones in it. And then there's also a place where you can see the uh, pictures from um, the Mount Sinai find and some others as well, as if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I've been up on there. But this is a very large mountain for the region. And if you go up on the Internet like I did and take a look at some of the pictures around, you can kind of see why you could land on this mountain and maybe not see anything else for a little while. But the waters continued to decrease until the 10th month. So we landed on the 7th month. The waters continued to decrease for until the 10th month. So that's about two and a half months of continual decrease. And they're not done yet. But they continued to decrease until the 10th month on the first day of the month. And that's when the tops of the mountains were seen. Now the reason that it brings out the 10th, 10th month on the first day is that this is the day that Moses takes some action about the flood. Up until then, they're just sitting there waiting. They're not doing anything at all. I mean, if they're feeding the animals, if the animals are not hibernating, they're doing activities like that, but they're not doing anything about the floodwaters or interacting with the floodwaters at all. They're just there. But here this begins a change of some things that that happen. So let's pick that up. uh, Verse verse 6, So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. So he sent out a raven. And the raven went to and fro in the waters and dried up the earth. It says, Then he also sent out for, from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. So what this tells us is that he first sends out the raven. And the raven, in particular... Uh, it doesn't need to have the kind of a place the rest of the dove does. It can come back and it can rest on the ark and not necessarily have to go back inside. It could find some treetops and be perfectly content to rest there. When he let the raven go, the raven doesn't come back. It goes to and fro. And he probably looks out the window and sees the thing still going to and fro, but it's not helping him out to figure out anything on this. And it's just kind of going around. Now, it says uh, 40 days. I don't know if he let the raven go on the first day of the 10th month or if he waited 40 days from that point and then let it go and was very disappointed in the raven and then decided to send out the dove on the same day or the day after. But it went around something like that. He was disappointed in the raven and the, uh, the things that came out because the raven will eat corpses. So there's all kinds of dead corpses and stuff like that around probably. And the raven's fine for eating all those things. So it doesn't even come back into the uh, fold to get fed or anything like that. He's, he's free and he's not coming back. He also sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot and she returned into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her 
drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. The dove came to him. In the evening, behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he had waited yet another seven days and sent the dove out, which did not return again to him anymore. So three times he sends a dove out. That's seven days in between each one. Total of 21 days. Plus the 40 days, you have now 60 days. How many days are in the month for the Jews? 30. So you have two months going by. From the 10th month, first day, two months going by. You are now through the 10th month, through the 11th month, into the 12th month. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. Now this is the first day of the first month. There's a whole lot of things that happen. Not a whole lot, but I'd say about a half dozen to seven interesting things that happened on the first day of the first month. And I had, uh, was going to write all these down for you, but we ran out of room for all the other stuff, so I just left them off. But if you ever want to do a search on that and just look for first day, first month, or whatever it is, and you can pull that, that sort of thing up and see all the different things that happened, certain sacrifices, certain events that occurred on this particular day. And it came to pass in the 601st year, the first month, first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. Now some folks feel that there was a covering over the, the window. The ark does not have one window. There are two, two words used to describe the windows on the ark. This is the second of the words. It would seem that there's two types of windows. One in which Noah could open and send out the birds. And the other ones that did not open or close. They would just allow light to come on in. And apparently, however it was they were designed, it also kept the water from coming in or coming in at such a rate that it would be a problem. So we had these, these, uh, these different types of windows. Because you have to have some kind of light, I guess, the, the natural light that would be coming in. And that's what these other ones provided. But there seemed to have been some kind of covering that was made. And this covering either prevented water from coming in or prevented them from seeing out. It does seem that the, it somehow hindered them from seeing out. And at this point, he removes it. So apparently he had access to it, had a way to get, get to it, and he removed it. So this is the first day of the first month. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. So the dove doesn't come back anymore, but they still stay in the ark because God hadn't said to come out yet. So they still stay in there until the second month. So we go through the first month, 30 days. We go into the second month, 27 days. That's almost two more months staying in the ark. I'm sure if you were these guys, you'd be done. I'm done with this ark. I want to get out. And God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So when, so Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to the families, went out of the ark. So this is the day everything goes. And the uh, animals all take off and they all find their own places to go and things to do. And he doesn't have too much to do with that until verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took 
of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, if you just have an ark full of animals, I'm not sure that this is the most efficient thing to do <laughs> is to kill one of each of them. But that's what he does and offers them all as a sacrifice. I don't know that God called for this. It may have been in the original plans. God said, you're going to bring this many on because we're going to offer a sacrifice at the end. So it may well have been in God's plans. We, I don't really know of anything that, that said it, but he did it. God didn't say he was upset with him. So we'll have to, I'll have to assume anyway that uh, this is okay by God. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And he makes a covenant. And this covenant is extremely powerful and one which we must always be in, line, uh, be in the place of, of understanding. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. This is a covenant with God. This is not just something that this is something I really like to see happen. This is a covenant that God makes with Noah. Now we know from the Abrahamic covenant that once the originator of the covenant dies, what can you do to change it? can't. You can add to it if you want to do more, but you cannot change the conditions of that original covenant. So the original conditions of this covenant cannot be changed. Noah is dead. So these things are going to go on. They will always go on. They will not cease from going on. Now we're going to go over some of the things that are established with this. Well, Noah and his family were in the ark for one year and ten days, as I count them. I've seen someone count one year and 17 days. I'm not sure how you get to that because uh, it's not like you're counting the days. You're saying one year. So whatever the year was, it's one year. Because we went from the uh, 17th day of the first month, or the second month, 17th day of the second month, to the 27th day of the second month, the following year. That to me is one year and ten days. I don't know where some got 17, but anyway, that's out there. And those references, Genesis 7 tells you when they got on. Genesis 8 tells you when they got off. But here are the things that are established as being eternal. First off, the earth is established as being eternal. The earth will continue eternally. This is what God has said. These are the things that are going to happen. And we gave you this reference, and there's also a number of other references there. You can take your time if you want to. Head on out there and take a look at them and read them on over if you want to. Verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So the living things that are on the face of the earth will be here. Because God said it. That's why they're going to be here. So he goes on and says, While the earth remains, and how long will the earth remain? Seed time and harvest. There, there will be planting of seeds, and there will be reaping of harvest. For as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time, and there will be harvest. There will be cold, and there will be heat. So when we get in those times of cold, 
We just think, glory to God, heat's coming. You know why? Because God promised it. We're going to have cold and we're going to have heat. And when you're in the midst of, of the summer, and if you don't like it that hot, just be thinking, cold is coming. Because it's cold and it's hot. Eternally. Always that way. God has established it. There will always be seasons. Summer and winter is what it specifically says there in the covenant. There will be summer. There will be winter. In other words, another way of saying there will be cold and there will be heat. Because it's cold in the winter and it's warm in the summer. There will be day and there will be night. These are the things that God has established as being eternal. And there will always be generations of people that will continue to go on. People will inhabit the earth. Uh, we'll just jump on down here to verse 12 of chapter 9. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. There will be perpetual generations. One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Man will not destroy himself. Because God said there will be perpetual generations. Because of this, there was never a threat of nuclear holocaust. Only to man. But to anyone who knew the promise in Genesis, knew it would not happen. Because God said, man will be on the earth perpetually. Living creatures will be on the earth perpetually. That we're not going to have a nuclear winter. Because God said there will be summer and winter. So all these things that they came up with during the Cold War scare were wrong. And the same thing they're doing now about the global warming thing. And I wrote this in your outline. Global warming is anti-covenant. This is one of the reasons I get so upset about it. It is anti-covenant. It is anti-God. Now, we got a whole mess of anti-God folks around here. How many of you all heard about the, the new catchphrase they have in the news now? It's even hard to say. Snowpocalypse. Have you heard about that? Because all this extra snow we're getting is a sign of what? Of global warming. Have you heard that? It's, in, it's been on every single news station has been covering this snowpocalypse that because of global warming, we are having excessive snows. Now, I want to read to you some things. These were actually read on the U.S. Senate floor. Quoting other people, of course. Robert Byrd. How many know about Senator Byrd? He said this to prove global warming. 2002 is the year, May, March 21st. We need a climate change strategy badly. Look at the kind of winter we have had here in Washington. One snow, three inches. What can we expect for the spring and summer seasons? What's going to happen to our crops, our livestock, our economy? This is serious. I've lived a long time, 84 years. He is an old guy. <laughs> Some things 
going wrong out there. I don't need a scientist to tell me that. We had better do something about it. So, in 2002, Robert Byrd says that a lack of snow is a sign of global warming. 2003, Diane Feinstein, June 21st. I'm sorry, 2005, June 21st. The Sierra Nevada snowpack is the largest source of water. The snowpack equals about half the storage capacity of all of California's man-made reservoirs. By the end of the century, the shrinking of the snowpack will eliminate the water source for 16 million people. The lack of snow was proof for her of global warming. 2007, October 29th, Barbara Boxster remarked that the most optimistic climate models for the second half of this century suggest that 30 to 70 percent of the snowpack will disappear. Now, no wonder we have people visiting our offices who are just already hurting from the recreational industry in this nation. They see what's happening. They see the handwriting on the, on the wall. We have to act. So she is saying that the people in the recreational area, the, the people who have snow for skiing and stuff, there's no snow, and so we need to act because they're not getting snow for recreation, and this is all a sign of global warming, so we have to do something about the global warming to help people get more snow. April 22nd, 2008, Senator Amy, boy, I can't even say this one, from Minnesota, Klobuchar. I don't even know who she is. I mean, I've heard of, mo of everybody, but I have not heard of her. I heard it from the head of our Snowmobile Association who testified at a forum that I had with our governor on climate change in January because they've been decreasing snow levels. I hear about it from ice fishermen because they have seen that it takes longer for the ice to freeze and they can't put their fish house out. Then we go back to Barbara Baxter again. March 19, 2009. 2009. Just last year. That's just last year. Looking at the U.S. United States of America, the IPCC, this is the folks that were behind all the global warming reports and they were found to have all those emails and all that sort of thing. IPCC clearly warned that unchecked global warming will lead to reduced snowpack in the western mountains, critically reducing access to water, which is our lifeblood. <laughs> so, when you have a lack of snow, it is because of global warming. When you have excessive snow, it is because of global warming. This is an anti-God viewpoint. It is anti-covenant. It is anti-God. Now, not everybody has heard about this report. I was surprised at this. But you actually have to go to the UK because the US place, places aren't reporting this a whole lot. But in the UK, uh, one of the main scientists apparently got caught. And this is what he says. This is his picture. <laughs> the academic the academic at the center of the Climate Gate affair, whose raw data is crucial to the theory of climate change, had admitted that he has trouble keeping track of the information. Have you heard anything about this? Colleagues say that the reason Professor Phil Jones has refused the Freedom of Information request is that he may have actually lost the relevant papers. <laughs> they have been asking him to produce the data for which he created the graph for which global warming is based. And he has refused all this time. 
He has basically refused because he said it's none of your business. But then when they kept pressing him and he couldn't get away with it anymore, now they're saying, well, he's kind of an unorganized guy and he apparently lost the data. <laughs> Professor Jones told the BBC yesterday that there was truth in the observation of Cogley's that he lacked organizational skills, that his office was a swamp with piles of paper and that his record keeping is not as good as it should be. The data is crucial to the famous hockey stick graph. Have you ever heard of the hockey stick graph? I have a picture of it here if you want to come up here and see it later on. This is the famed hockey stick graph, not the polar bears in the background, just the graph itself. <laughs> uh, Professor Jones also conceded that possibly that the world, has, the world was warmer in medieval times than now, suggesting global warming may not be a man-made phenomenon. <laughs> this is the guy who's behind most of the, 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 the information that they're basing all this stuff on that they want us to spend billions of dollars on to create the problem that we really don't have. The administrators will be, the admissions will be seized. I'm sorry. He, and he said that for the past 15 years, he said that for the past 15 years, there has been no st statistically significant warming. This is the guy behind all the graphs, behind all the data. He is saying that for the past 15 years, there has been none. The emission will be seized on by skeptics as fresh evidence that there are serious flaws at the heart of the science of climate change, that the orthodoxy that recently rises in temperature are largely man-made. Professor Jones has been in the spotlight since he stepped down as director of the University of East Anglia's Climatic research unit after the leaking of emails the skeptics claimed showed scientists were manipulating data. We talked to you about that before. The raw data collected from hundreds of weather stations around the world and analyzed by his unit has been used for years to bolster efforts by the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change to press governments to cut carbon uh, dioxide emissions. Again, they're trying to promote that carbon dioxide is the cause of all this problem and so uh, I mean, the places you can go with that is just crazy. Following the leak of the email, Professor Jones has been accused of scientific fraud for allegedly deliberately suppressing information and refusing to share vital data with critics. Discussing the interview, the BBC's environmental analyst, Roger Harabin, said he had spoken to colleagues of Professor Jones who had told him that his strengths included integrity and doggedness, but not record-keeping and office tidying. Mr. Harabin, who conducted the interview for the BBC's website, said the professor has been collecting tens of thousands of pieces of data from around the world to produce a coherent record of temperature change. The material has been used to produce the hockey stick graph, which is relatively flat for centuries before rising steeply in recent decades. According to Mr. Harabin, colleagues of Professor Jones said his official, his office, I'm sorry, his office is piled high with paper, fragments from over the years, tens of thousands of pieces of paper, and they suspect what happened was he took in the raw data to the central database and then let the pieces of the paper go because he never realized that 20 years later he would be held to account over them. Asked by Mr. Harabin that these issues, Professor Jones admitted the lack of organization in the system had contributed to his Reluctance to share data with critics, which he regretted.
but he denied that he had cheated over the data or unfairly influenced the scientific process and said he still believed recent temperatures rises were predominantly man-made. Asked about whether he lost track of data, Professor Jones said there is some truth in that. We do have a trail of where the weather stations have come from, but it's probably not as good as it should be. There is continual updating of the data set. Keeping track of everything is difficult. Some countries will do lots of checking on their data, then issue improved data, and it can be very difficult. We have improved, but we have to improve more. He also agreed that there have been two periods which experienced similar warming from 1910 to 1940 and from 1975 to 1996, but said these could be explained by natural phenomena, whereas most recent warming could not. He further admitted that in the last 15 years there had been no statistically significant warming, although he argued this was a bit ra a blip rather than a long-term trend, and said that the data the debate over whether the world could have been even warmer than now during a medieval period when there is evidence of high temperatures in northern countries was far from settled. This is the time, I believe, when Greenland was actually producing a lot more crops than they are now. They don't uh, produce some of those crops that they once did because of the temperature changes of, uh, of that particular region. Skeptics there believe that there is strong evidence that the world was warmer between 800 to 1300 A.D. than now because of evidence of high temperatures in northern countries. But climate change advocates have discussed this as false or only applying to the nor northern part of the world. Professor Jones departed from his consensus when he said, there was much debate over whether the medieval warm period was global in extent or not. The MWP is most clearly expressed in parts of North America and North Atlantic Europe and parts of Asia. For it to be global in extent, the MWP, medieval warming period, would need to be seen clearly in more records from the tropical regions in the southern hemisphere. There are very few uh, paleoclimatic records for these, these uh, two regions. Of course, if the MWP was shown to be global in extent and as warm or warmer than today, then obviously the late 20th century warmth would not be unprecedented. On the other hand, if the MWP was global but was less warm than today, then the current warmth would be unprecedented. Skeptics said that, his, that this was the first time in a senior scientist working with the IPCC had admitted to the possibility that the medieval warming period could have been global and therefore the world could have been hotter than now. Professor Jones criticized those who complained he had not shared his data with them, saying that they could always collect their own from publicly <laughs> available material in the U.S., and he said the climate had not cooled until recently and then barely at all. Now, of course, that was part of their problem. They were collecting data that was different from theirs, and they were asking him to come up with it, but they didn't bring that part of it up. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Harabin told Radio 4 today, program that despite the controversies, there still appeared to be no fundamental flaws in the majority scientific view that climate change was largely man-made. believe that. But Dr. Benny Pizer, director of the Skept Skeptical Global Warming Policy Foundation, said Professor Jones' excuses for his failure to share data were hollow as he had shared it with colleagues and, and mates. He said that until all the data was released, skeptics could not test to see if it supported the conclusions claimed by climate change advocates. He added that the professor's conclusions 
I'm sorry, concessions over medieval warming were significant because they were his first public admission that the science was not settled. Now, some of the data that they collected from the trees, have you ever heard of the trees being used? You heard some of the tree rings that were used in some of the, 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 the group? It first came out that they had used three trees and then it came out that they used one. One tree. Out of all the trees in the Asian marketplace, they found one that they could use to support their data and they used it. <laughs> These are the folks that you're up against. And what I want us to understand is the reason I get passionate about this topic is it is anti-God. Because God said, while the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. But one of the global warming scare tactics is that we will not be able to have harvests, that seeds and crops will not grow. But God said there will be seed time and harvest. They said that we're going to get, get to a place where either uh, maybe back before it was global cooling, it was going to be winter all the time. Now that it's global warming, it was going to be summer all the time. And now that it's global climate change, who knows what it's going to be. <laughs> but he said cold and heat. So from the, this time, the time of this flood until now, there will always be periods of cold and periods of heat. There will always be winter and there will always be summer. As long as we're in winter now, and as long as we are in a winter, we always know summer is ahead. When we're in summer, we always know winter is ahead. Unfortunately for some, <laughs> but winter is ahead. That's just the way that it goes. We have some years where we have lots of snow, and some years where we don't. Isn't that the way? That, I mean, the last three years before this one, how much snow did we get? You can measure with a six-inch ruler. It was not much. And so it generally works out that if you don't get some for a number of years, that then it comes back again. And the only way that you need to get to have snow in our region, and this is the toughest thing. I know that weather people in our region have the toughest job, probably of anybody in the entire country. This is hard. Because you have to get the timing of the cold air coming from the north and the moist air coming from the south. And this is where they collide. And they make those nor'easters and they do all this um, uh, stuff like that. It's... They have a hard job. And they have to calculate when will the cold hit, when will the moisture hit, when we get more rain, when we get snow. But when we have cold air and moisture, we get snow. So if you can time it that the moisture comes when we have cold temperatures, we get snow. But if the moisture comes when the warm temperatures are here, we get rain. That works. But God said this is how it's going to be. There will always be day and there will always be night. And they shall not cease. That's God's word. So for anyone to doubt this and believe these climatologists, these scientists who are producing results based on faulty data, data that they have staged, we went over a long time ago. I showed you some of the places where they put some of these thermometers. Some of the thermometers are located right next to air conditioning and heating units. Right next to them. How does that not impact the reading of the temperature? And then when you call them on it, well, you know, it's uh, 
can't really produce the data. Kind of got lost. It's just, you can't find it right now, but it's there. And, we, and when we put it in, it was right. <laughs> oh, man. You see, the problem is not that we ever, you don't ever have to debate that the earth warms or cools. The earth always warms and cools. We have some years that are warmer than other years and some years that are colder. It's not a constant. For us to assume that how the earth is now is its optimal, is, we, we have nothing to base that on. We may be warmer than, we're, than is optimal. We may be colder than is We don't know what it is. But to say that man causes it is the problem. Man does not cause it. They have sold people on this thing that CO2 can cause global warming. And, and we've told you the stats on the globe. They don't, they don't tell you all the, all the details of it, but believe that the total percentage of CO2 is, is measure, measured in the tens and hundreds and that we can barely impact that. Barely impact that. But they want us to believe that that's what it is. That we are the cause of it and therefore we need to spend all kinds of money and that the people who are promoting this get rich out of it. Al Gore is one of the ones who stands to get rich if people buy this because he has bought a whole lot of these carbon credits wherever he got them from, however he did it. And so when he sells them, he's the one who's going to make money off of it. It's, it's just tough for me to understand how folks want to buy into what someone wants to preach and teach when they stand to benefit from people buying into it. But that's where we're, we're at with it. Please understand, this covenant, this is back in the book of Genesis. From the time of Noah's flood, God said this will be in force. How many have ever seen a rainbow? The rainbow is proof. Yes. And that's where we get to go on here. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Same command that was given to Adam and Eve. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on, every, on all that move on the earth, and on all the flesh of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now, the food laws of the later time were not put in there. So at this point, everything that moved, they could eat. Now, later on, for the Jews, it was going to be put in for certain ones to be clean and unclean and stuff. And even Noah apparently knew there were some unclean animals and they, he didn't offer them a sacrifice. But right now, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is the blood. Now, here's an interesting observation. When Adam and Eve are put in the garden, they are basically herbivores. They're not eating meat. They're eating the, the fruits and the vegetables and the things that are on the vine and things that are on the trees, whatever it is. That's what they're eating, except for what? There's one thing they weren't supposed to eat. The tree. But it was part of the vegetation, wasn't it? But they were not allowed to eat that. Now we had the same thing in the meat category. You can eat all of it, but not the blood. It's almost the same thing as what was in the garden. You can eat all of it, but not this tree. You can eat all those things, just not the blood. Drain the lifeblood out of it first. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. And from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the, the life of man. 
Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. What is that? That is the death penalty. <laughs> for in the image of God He made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth, bring, uh, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So God institutes the death penalty. God institutes the death penalty. He says, if you kill a man, then by man shall you die. That is the death penalty, isn't it? And it's put in by God. Now somebody asked me this recently and I didn't have a number on it. If you're here tonight, I forgot who asked me it. There is an answer to it. I did look this up. How many things are there, is there a death penalty for? And I think I, when somebody asked me, I just said a lot. Forty-two. Forty-two offenses in the Bible require the death penalty. Now, that's in the Old Testament and the laws that were given to the, uh, to the Jewish people. Forty-two things. And killing a man or woman was one of them. But there were 41 others beside that. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So the covenant established with him and with all the descendants. Are you one of the descendants of Noah? We all are. We all came from Noah. So um, we're part of the descendants. We're part of the covenant. There is not a soul on the earth alive today who cannot trace their roots to Noah. There is not a single one. Because the only ones who populated the earth was Noah and his wife and Noah's three sons and their wives. They all came from Noah. Every single one. Every race, every person with every language, makes no difference. We all trace it back to there. So therefore, we all are in this covenant. This is what benefits us. Verse 10. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. What is one of the things that the global warming folks like Al Gore want to say is going to happen? It's going to flood. It's going to flood. It's not going to flood. Because God said it's not going to flood. I think God is more powerful than Al Gore. And I trust God more than I trust any of these other scientists who want to come out there. This is what God said. Yeah, but we have to be responsible. And if we're irresponsible, then that just... No, it does not. There is no, no condition that God puts on Noah that he must do to uphold the covenant. He says, this is the covenant that I'm making with you. I will not do this ever again. Amen. This is it. This is God's Word. And God's Word is more powerful than any faulty scientist's data that they punch into a computer and get whatever results out of it they want to get. Hmm. Verse 12. Well, let's go over 11 again. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Never again. Never again. Now, I've told you some of this in the, in the past. 
some of the things. The reason he emphasizes this never again is because this is not the first flood and Noah knew about the first flood. Because Adam knew about the first flood and Adam knew Methuselah and Methuselah knew Noah. And so word would have gotten passed to him pretty directly. And it got passed down from Noah all the way on down so that Peter is writing about it in the New Testament. The flood that destroyed the world that then was, which was not Noah's world, it was the pre-Adamite world. Because Noah's flood does not destroy the world. Because Noah and his family were preserved. All those animals were preserved. All the plant life was preserved. All the fish were preserved. The world was not destroyed. The only world that was destroyed was when we come upon the earth and the waters are upon the earth and the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters and there was no life. And God said, let there be light. He had already had a son, but now let there be light. And He began to establish the things that brought life back in and then recreated life and put it upon the earth. There was no life up until then. But he says, I will never do this again. I did it once. I did it twice. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> this is it. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When does the rainbow happen? When it rains and the sun comes out, the sun reacts with the rain and creates the prism effect and we get the rainbow. And God says every time that it rains and the sun comes out while it's still raining, I'm renew just renewing my promise to you. Amen. I'll never do this again. Every time you look up at the rainbow, you can tell your kids, that's God telling us, he'll never do this again. It will never flood on the earth again. I will not destroy mankind again. Mankind will have perpetual generations. There will always be seed time and harvest. There will always be cold and heat. There will always be summer and winter. Always. As long as the earth is here, this is going on. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every every living creature and all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The Word of God actually tells us that God set up boundaries for the water. And the water is not allowed to cross the boundaries. It is done. This is God's covenant with us. This is what He says He will do. We do not have to become afraid when Barbara Baxter gets up in the Senate and begins to talk about things that are happening and how it's going to destroy the earth. It will not happen. Amen. Now, you can't go up to Barbara Baxter or any of the other folks that are in the Senate of the names that I read. I'm not thinking of them right now. Uh, Robert Byrd and some of that. You can't go up to them and say, well, the Bible says it's not going to happen. They're not going to... 
They don't respect God. They don't respect what His Word says. Even if some of them claim to be Christians, maybe they are Christians. I don't know. I'm not trying to say they are or not. Or not. But they hold to their scientists' findings more than they hold to what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God has come out and said a whole lot of things that folks in our, our um, government, Congress and judges and all sorts of things, have ignored. So just because the Word of God says it doesn't mean they're going to buy into it. But we should... Because the Word of God said it, this is what's going to happen. So in the end, the, the earth will not end by any environmental threat. The earth as we know it will continue through the end of the Millennial Kingdom. The end of the Millennial Kingdom, it will be burned in, uh, as with fire, not with water. And the living things apparently are being preserved somehow because we don't have a recreation of all that. And we're still around and we get put back on the earth again. And we have uh, no more oceans. It's all remade. We've got one source of water. But until that time, this earth continues. So after that, we will be remade into a new heaven and a new earth and continue on. For how long? As long as God wants it to. we got a sun and yes, the sun, suns have a certain number of years until they burn out. But we have a God who created the sun. If he wants to jump start it, he can jump start it. If he wants to pull it out and put a new one in, he can do that too. If he wants to move our earth into another sun's orbit, he can do that too. We serve quite a God. Amen. So whatever, how as long as he wants this earth to be here and to be our home, it will be here and it will be our home. And if he ever decides, you know what, we're all going to move. <laughs> he is well able to move us. Because understand the second coming, but before the second coming of Christ, when we have, we have uh, Jesus coming for His church, He's moving us then. In the twinkling of an eye, <laughs> we're, we're going to be moved. And uh, it's nothing to Him to move His church. Not a, not a big deal at all. Just he moved all those folks out of all the Old Testament saints, moved them out of the paradise, took them up into heaven. Oh, I was so surprised at this. I was listening to a show this week on the TV. Uh, I'm not going to say who it was. Very, very well-known evangelist. He was on the TV and he was answering a question that was written into him about what happened to the Old Testament saints. Did they go on to, to, into heaven? And he answered them, yes. And I was so shocked. I said, well, the folks at our church know better than that. I couldn't believe that he, he didn't know the answer to that. Well-known guy. And he, he started throwing around all kinds of terms and stuff. He wasn't even using the terms right. Hades and hell and, and paradise. And he knew all the terms, but he wasn't using them right. You all know that before Jesus Christ died, that people went to the other side of hell, which was called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And they waited there until Jesus died on the cross, paid the price. And Mary sees him and he says, I haven't yet ascended my father to pay the price. Don't touch me. But then after that, he ascended to the father. But it said in the, in the word of God that he went down into hell. What did he do down there? He, he took the captives, set them free. Now that can't be the hell side because the hell side is still being populated today. <laughs> or the Hades side, hell, whatever you want to call it. They're all still waiting. But on the other side, Abraham's bosom is empty. 
And he took them all on because the, their penalty was paid. And they went on into heaven. Glory be to God. Some people don't know all that. But you all know it and you studied it out yourself and you know it not because I taught it to you. You know it because you've studied it out and you, you've seen it in the Word of God yourself. But um, there's people out there who don't know some of those things. You make sure you go out there and help them out. <laughs> Educate them on it. Tell them what's going on with the Word of God. People are out there asking questions like this and, you know, where do we go? Where do we go now when we die? Directly to heaven. We don't, we don't, we don't go to no paradise. The place is empty. We don't need to go there. We're going on because the price has been paid. We are redeemed. But please understand how important this thing is. God said, I will never destroy this earth with a flood. I have a covenant with you that there will always be seed time and harvest. There will always be summer and winter. There will always be cold. And there will always be heat. That's how it is. And it does not matter what scientist wants to come up with whatever. Understand, in 1984, when they first brought in the global warming hoax, in an interview, I believe it was David Brinkley, uh, his show, I forget what he calls that, uh, This Week with David Brinkley. I think it was him. He was interviewing the... And I don't know what David Brinkley's view on the whole thing was, and he's dead now, but I don't know. I, the interview wasn't about David. David was interviewing this particular scientist. And this particular scientist said in 1984, he says, we're not positive that this is true, but it could be. And if it is true, it will be irreversible in 20 years. 2004. <laughs> of course, uh, that uh, well-known actor, he's a fun actor. I enjoy him. The guy from Cheers. Um, Dan Ted Danson. He said in the, in the 60s, that if we don't act now, the oceans will die in 20 years. They love 20 years. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Because, you know, it's far enough out that if it doesn't happen, you know, there, you know we, we can still reap the benefit of people thinking it's going to happen. But uh, it's, it's close enough that we feel like we ought to act. <laughs> yeah, the oceans were going to, in the 60s, the oceans were going to die in 20 years if we didn't do anything. Uh, I forget what year in the 60s it was, 67, 68, 69. I don't know when it was that he uh, came out with that prediction. But And he even said later on, he says, well, we exaggerated that because we just wanted to get the problem to be known. Oceans are doing fine. Polar bears are doing fine. So don't, uh, you understand, I, I get passionate on this thing and, and, and this is why. This is anti-God. This is anti-covenant. Do not buy into anything that they say. Because that is wrong. Because of it, you know, President Bush, back when he was in office, signed the, that thing that your uh, incandescent light bulbs are going to be illegal in 2012. You're going to have to go out and buy those uh, spiral fluorescent things that if you drop them in your house, you've got to evacuate it. <laughs> what, what a good trade-off that was, wasn't it? Oh, man. Hopefully, but since it's all unraveling now, maybe they'll undo that legislation and that won't be, uh, be the case. But... Uh, Plenty of, plenty of leaders in history have been falling for this stuff, but don't you fall for it. Don't you, you, just, you know better. God said it's not going to happen. And His Word is far more powerful than any scientist and any data that they want to try and collect. Thank God for that. Amen. And in, nuclear holocaust ain't going to happen. Not going to wipe out man. 
Global warming, not going to happen, not going to wipe out man. Not going to have these things there. That's not how it happens. We have the book of Revelation, and we know that everybody sticks around here for the tribulation period. And there's a whole lot of nasty stuff that goes on, but it's not, they're not man-caused. There are God judging the earth. Whew. And they're nasty. Oh, man, they are nasty. But they come from God, and He is judging the earth. His wrath is being poured out. God says, man, I am, I am mad now. Mm. He is he's wrath. He is, ooh, he's hot. He's, he's mad because of what they've been doing to his kids. And he says, I'm pouring it out now. Y'all are going to get it. And then they, then they happen. But that's not because of people breathing carbon dioxide or any other stuff. <laughs> Our God is awesome. Never let anything that's being reported in the news media distract you from the fact that our God is awesome. He's more awesome than any man, more awesome than any scientific study, more awesome than any of that. Do not be afraid. And we've, you know, we've hit on some of the things that they've, they've been messing with. But what if tomorrow we have a big front page story in the paper? Earth is in the path of a huge meteor. There is no hope to destroy this thing. We're dead in one year. What would you do? What would you do? Simply say, uh-uh. It's not going to happen. It's not in the book. We're not going to get wiped out in that way. This is how God said we're all here into the tribulation. We're all here into the millennium. It ain't going to happen that way. And just relax. Rest and relax. All the world goes into a full-fledged panic, but you should just be relaxed. It's, you know you know what's going to happen in six months after that. They're going to say, well, it, it's not quite on the trajectory we thought. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something like that. And you would have been all upset for nothing. All you have to do is trust the Word of God. All you got to do. Don't be looking for his prophets to be rising up and saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall be preserved when this common hits. No, you just go to the Word of God in Genesis. It says, God, you said there will be perpetual generations. That you will not destroy all living things from the face of this earth. I thank you that you will not do that. This is what your word said. And when you have a rainbow, there it is. That tells me it's still on. <laughs> Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the certainty of your word. We know beyond any shadow of a doubt. That what you promised is true. That the covenant you made with Noah has endured all these times and will continue to endure. As long as the earth is here, this is what you said you'll do. We thank you for it. We will not accept any fear that the news media and the people around us try and put on. We will not receive it because we have received the word of God. And that word says, I will not do this. I will not let this happen. This is the covenant between our God and us, the descendants of Noah. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.